friends. Good morning, friends. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> it is lovely to see you all here today. Firstly, I want to say thank you uh, to all of you uh, who have been praying for Angie and I over the last couple of weeks. I, ten days I was with COVID, being positive and now recovering nicely. Uh, Angie is recovering, but not quite as nicely. So uh, continued prayers would be appreciated. Thank you for that. Uh, we are here uh, to worship God. Very warm welcome to you if you are here in the space. Warm welcome if you're joining us uh, via a screen. Wherever you are, uh, we pray that you will sense the presence of the risen Jesus among us. So we begin by hearing some words from the psalmist. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. Let us stand and sing together, for I'm building a people of power. Building a people of power, and I'm making a people of praise that will move through this land by my spirit and will glorify my precious name. Build your church, Lord, make us strong, Lord. Join our hearts, Lord, through your Son. Make us one, Lord, in your body, in the kingdom of your Son. For I'm building a people of power, and I'm making a people of praise that will move through this land by my spirit and will glorify my praise.
the book of Acts. In the first video, we watched Luke open the book by showing us how the risen Jesus was exalted as the king of the world. He promised to send the Holy Spirit as his own personal presence to empower his followers to go out into the world and bear witness to the good news about his kingdom until he would return one day. And so it began in Jerusalem as the Spirit came and formed Jesus' followers into the new temple promised by the scriptural prophets. But this generated conflict with the leaders of Jerusalem, and so it led to the persecution of the Christians. But the Spirit transformed it into good. It actually became the means by which the originally Jewish Jesus communities were pushed outside Jerusalem to become a multi-ethnic international movement. And the flagship church of this diverse Jesus movement was in Antioch, the largest city in that part of the Roman Empire. So we left the story with Barnabas and Paul serving in the Antioch church, and the Spirit prompts the church to send them on a missionary journey, which opens up a whole new section of the book. The story is about Paul and his co-workers traveling to different cities around the Roman Empire, announcing the good news that Jesus is king. The first mission is into the interior of what's called Asia Minor, found in modern Turkey, and it ends with an important meeting of the apostles back in Jerusalem. The second mission is through Asia Minor and then into ancient Greece. And then the third mission is through that same territory again, and it concludes with Paul's journey all the way back to Jerusalem. Now, in recounting all these stories, Luke has highlighted a number of important themes by repeating them. So first is the continued mission to Israel. Whenever Paul enters a new city, he always goes first to the Jewish synagogue to share about the risen King Jesus and how he's forming a new multi-ethnic family of God. Now, most often, lots of people come to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but some oppose Paul. Sometimes they even throw him out of town as a dangerous rebel who opposes the Torah and Jewish tradition. And this tension culminates after the first journey, leading to an important council in Jerusalem. So Paul discovers that there are some Jewish Christians in Antioch, and they're claiming that unless non-Jewish people become Jewish by practicing circumcision, the Sabbath, obeying the kosher food laws, that they can't become part of Jesus's family. But Paul and Barnabas, they radically disagree. And so they take the debate to a leadership council in Jerusalem. Now there, Peter, Paul, and James, the brother of Jesus, they all show from the scriptures and from their experience that God's plan was always to include the nations within his covenant people. So they write a letter requiring non-Jewish Christians to stop participating in pagan temple sacrifices, but they don't require them to adopt an ethnically Jewish identity or obey the laws in the Torah. Now, this decision was groundbreaking for the history of the Jesus movement. Jesus, he's the Jewish Messiah, but he's also the risen king of all nations. And so one's membership among his people is not based on ethnic identity or following the laws of the Torah. It's based simply on trusting Jesus and then following his teachings. And it's this multi-ethnic reality of the Jesus movement that leads us to the next theme Luke wants us to see in the missionary journeys, namely the clash of cultures between the early Christians and the Greek and Roman world. Luke records multiple clashes in Philippi, Athens, and Ephesus. Paul goes and announces Jesus as the revelation of the one true God and as the king of the world, who shows up all other gods and idols as powerless and futile. And his message is consistently viewed as subversive to the Roman way of life, and he gets accused of being a dangerous social revolutionary. 
These stories show how the multi-ethnic, monotheistic Jesus communities did not fit into any cultural boxes known to the Roman people. The ancient world had just never seen anything like them. And the Christians aroused more than just suspicion. Another theme Luke repeats is how Paul and the Christians are constantly being accused of rebellion, even treason against Caesar, the Roman emperor. People heard Paul correctly. He was announcing that there's another king, Jesus. And they also correctly saw that the Christian way of life was a challenge to many Roman cultural values. But every time Paul gets arrested and interrogated before Roman officials, they don't see any threat and he's dismissed. These stories show us the paradox that the early church presented to the world. It was a Jewish messianic movement, but it was ethnically diverse, full of communities that treated men and women and rich and poor and slave and free all as equals. And they all gave their allegiance to King Jesus alone and no other God or king. And so their very existence, it turned upside down the core values of Roman culture, but the Christians posed no military threat because Jesus taught them to be people of peace. And so the only crime Paul and the Christians can be accused of is not conforming to the status quo. The book's final section returns the focus to Paul's witness spreading from Jerusalem to Rome. His final missionary journey ends back in Jerusalem, where his controversial reputation precedes him. He gets attacked by Jewish people who think that he's betrayed Israel, which attracts the attention of Roman soldiers who think Paul's a terrorist from Egypt starting a rebellion. And so he gets arrested. From here, Paul is put on trial, first before the Jewish leaders of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, but then before a series of Roman leaders in Caesarea. There's Governor Felix, who puts Paul off for the next governor, Festus, who eventually brings Paul before King Agrippa. He ends up in prison for years, even though at each trial the charges never stick to him, because all he's doing is announcing that his hope in the resurrection has been fulfilled in King Jesus. This is hardly a crime. But at this point, the Roman legal machine can't just turn him away, and so Paul ends up appealing to Rome's highest court. Now, you would think that all this prison time would be a setback for Paul because his heartbeat is to be on the road starting new Jesus communities. But the Spirit orchestrates everything for good in this book. And so the imprisonment gives Paul time to have his most important apostolic letters written. And these become the way that his missionary legacy is carried on long after he dies. Eventually, Paul was transferred as a prisoner to Rome. And after a terrifying near-death voyage across the Mediterranean, Paul ends up in house arrest in Rome, awaiting his delayed trial. And so he's able to host, in quite a nice house, regular meetings that reach Jews and Gentiles. And the book's final words are about how Paul is announcing the kingdom of God and boldly teaching all about the Lord, Jesus, the Messiah, totally unhindered, all happening right under Caesar's nose in Rome. The unified work of Luke Acts, it does so much more than give us a history of Jesus and the early church. He's showing how the kingdom of God came on earth as in heaven through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, through the coming of his spirit to empower the church to bear witness from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And as Luke has told the story, he's given us scores of examples of what faithfulness to King Jesus looks like. It looks like sharing the good news of the risen King Jesus in word and in action. It means forming diverse Jesus communities where people of all kinds come together, where they're treated equally and give allegiance to King Jesus and live by his teachings. And all of this is done by trusting 
in the power and the guidance of the Spirit to lead the way forward. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. So now you know. Uh, short sermon later. You've got it all. Uh, we'll see, won't we? Uh, let's hear from God's word. Let's have the reading. Just checking that it's the right one. Yeah. Um, the the um, It's from Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 42, and it's about the persecution of the apostles. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel... Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean 
appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering in disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Thank you. Right. We shall sing together once again. Uh, those of you that are able to stand, please stand as we sing, I believe in Jesus. Once again, we've come to say thank you in this most practical of ways. 
Please take all that we have and all that we are and use even us to further your kingdom. Amen. Now, if you're involved with Junior Church, it's time for you to take your leave. The Lord be with you. Come to our prayers of intercession, uh, and as always, we'll bring uh, issues from around the world and those friends that we know that are unwell and need our prayers. Can I just check, Anne? Is this your last Sunday with us? You tra- when do you travel back to India? Thursday. Right. We shall remember you too. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, to come and bring before you the world that you have made. We often stand here and sit here in this place, at this stage in our service, and acknowledge the weight of events around the world that are really quite overwhelming. And it helps us enormously to know that we can come and bring these things to you, you who are not overwhelmed, you who are able to hold all of these concerns and not to be swamped. We pray for the people of Japan as they come to terms with the death of their leader, Shinzo Abe. Political violence in that country is almost unheard of. So the shock must be immense for all the people. We pray for his family, friends, political colleagues, for all those that know him, for all the people of that land who will be wondering what will happen next. We pray for those folk in Australia who have been overwhelmed by floods in recent weeks, many of them instructed to leave property, to leave homes and livelihoods uh, in order to keep them safe, but not wanting to. And when this sort of thing happens and you can't guard against your home being inundated with water and goodness knows what else. It is so hard, Lord, to see things that you, we know they're only things, but things that you love and possibly things that delineate important stages in your life. And maybe some of those will be lost and maybe some of them will be spoiled and ruined. Maybe some people will be lost too. We pray for all those who have been affected by the floods and ask that you would draw near to them and comfort them. And for our own country, Lord, as we enter a period of resetting the political agenda, 
uh, with the resignation of our own Prime Minister. Everybody's thoughts now turn to possible succession and whether we're Tories or not doesn't make any odds. We pray, Father, that those that will be offering themselves for this new responsibility will understand that they are there to serve and not to rule and that they will understand that their character has as much to do with whether or not they will succeed as their policies. We pray that any who live their lives in boxes will be discounted. We pray that there will be a consistency across the whole of the life of all those that offer so that honesty and integrity will be the watchword once again for our government and for those who seek to govern in our name. We know that we can reset, Lord, and we're glad that we are able to, but we don't want to be doing this every five minutes. So let those who are considering putting their names forward understand the enormity of what they're going to take on. And may they understand to have the trust of the people, they have to live a life that is worthy of that trust in every department. We turn our eyes away from bigger things, things that are a bit further away from us, and draw nearer to our own community. We give you thanks for Anne and for her time among us. It's been lovely to speak with her, listen to her, and it was lovely to have her speak a little about the work that she has done down through the years in India with BMS. Thank you for the breadth of that work, uh, for the education and care and love uh, that she has lavished upon so many uh, in that land. Thank you that there are many whose lives have been transformed because of the work that she has done and continues to do. We're glad that we have met her and we pray for her safe arrival back home as she would deem it. We thank you that there will be people waiting to greet her when she gets back, people who have missed her while she's been away. And whilst she is away from us, we too will miss her. But we will pray now with more knowledge, more awareness, and perhaps a little more fervor for the work that you are doing through Anne in that great country. We pray your rich blessing upon her and all her endeavors. We think about our own friends here. Some may be unwell. Some may be bereaved. Others recovering from illness. Some may be so joyful at the blessings that you have bestowed. Whatever condition 
our friends find themselves in. Lord, will you be all that they need right now? Will you draw near to them, meet their need, and bless them with every good thing we pray? We gather up all of our prayers in the prayer that Jesus taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Friends, we are to sing once again, uh, Jesus is the name we honour. If you're able, please stand. five a growing church a church full of obedient people a church full of the love of god a church doing what god wants everything should be fine everything should be wonderful what is happening the church is being persecuted the church is being hammered on all sides uh, by authorities that don't understand what is going on by authorities that see them as a threat why is this 
why are things not hunky-dory? Given that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing, a growing church and obedient people, etc., etc. Why is it happening? Well, it's happening because they are doing what God wants. It is happening because they are an obedient people. They are full of the love of God. They are doing what God wants. That's difficult, isn't it? I mean, that's not the deal, surely, that you sign up to when you become a Christian, is it? Well, I must say, friends, some days I look at my own life and I wonder to myself, why has this all gone a bit pear-shaped? Why has it gone a bit wrong? Why is there all this hassle? As far as I can see, I am doing what God requires of me, so why? And then the answer comes back, Kevin, it is because you are doing what I want you to do. It is because you are being faithful. It is because you are being obedient. It is because you are demonstrating my love to those that are all around you. Uh, There are those that don't want that to happen. If you do become a thoroughgoing Christian disciple, the promise of Jesus is not all your troubles will be over. The promise of Jesus is this. I will be with you always. So the test, if there is such a thing, of the genuineness of our faith is not how quiet your life is or how turbulent your life is. But this, can I discern the presence of the risen Christ by my side in all of the changing circumstances of my life? It'll take some time for you to review all the circumstance and to come to a conclusion about that. But it's worth doing. It's worth having that question in the back of your head. So there's persecution for this growing church. There is also a sense of awe and wonder amongst all the people uh, that are around these new Christian communities that are forming and being formed. The mission of Jesus is continuing through the fledgling church. The apostles teaching, uh, always referring back to Jesus, and we heard it earlier in chapter 5 as Terry helpfully read that for us. Um, And uh, the authorities saying to the apostles, you seem to want to pin the death of this man on us. Well, yes, absolutely, because you did it. I mean, that's why uh, you are responsible. Well, not just them, but all of us. There are all sorts of miraculous things going on. Again, the apostles in the lead with all of that, especially healing. They're held in reverence by all the people. The church is growing at a steady rate. There are more and more converts coming through, it seems, each week. The conviction that Jesus is alive is growing throughout the region and certainly amongst this fledgling church. Verse 17 highlights the reason for the persecution. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They're all jealous 
of the success that these unschooled people are having in proclaiming the goodness of God. And again, there's a warning, I think, for all of us who would own the name of Jesus and who want to see the kingdom of God being proclaimed and established in our church and in the locality. Um, you know, Baptists, we're, we're very keen you know, to see the church grow. Well, we must, mustn't we? Because we are dependent on a growing church to see all the things that we want to see happen in the locality. If we don't concentrate on growing the church, then we should be dead. Uh, when we see others who are doing the same things we're doing, saying the same things we're saying, uh, and their church is growing and ours isn't, you think to yourself sometimes, well, what on earth is going on, God? Don't be jealous. <clears throat> don't, be, don't be dismayed by that. Thank God that he is at work amongst you know, our fellow religionists, our co-religionists, our sisters and brothers in Christ, whatever label may be attached to them. And if it is possible for us to encourage them to continue in the vein that they are, then that's what we should do. Eventually, God will honor that. It's not a competition. We are not in competition uh, with anyone. We are in cooperation with one another. That's what we need to be doing. The high priests, the Sadducees, they're all jealous, and they call for a second arrest for Peter and John, uh, and a first arrest for all those others that are with them. And it's a mass arrest for preaching the gospel. One wonders if that were an offense in this country, how many of us might find ourselves in a cell. Please, God, it will never happen in our country. But we must guard against jealousy. Um, the disciples tell Jesus in, I mean, in two of the gospel accounts, Mark 9 and Luke 9, the disciples tell Jesus about someone they saw casting out demons in your name, but they're not part of our group. So we told them to stop. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. Uh, those that are for you, if, if they are, you know, if they're speaking in my name, then they, they're a part of what I am doing. So do not stop them. So when there are other Christians in the locality, uh, we should seek to encourage that. So the persecution comes, <clears throat> the arrests happen, they're thrown into jail, and they are wonderfully, miraculously released uh, by an angelic visitation and encouraged to continue their witness, which they do the very next morning. And the, that piece is really quite funny, isn't it, in the reading? Um, right, bring the prisoners out. Oh, they're already out. And they're in the public square and they're still preaching in the name of Jesus, which we told them not to do. So they're dragged back in front of the council. We told you not to do this. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, 
whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 4, Jesus says to his followers, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and afterwards can do no more. Fear the one who has the power to throw you into hell, and that is Jesus himself. He holds the keys of death and hell. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 reminds us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that is, awe and respect for God and for all that he is doing. And then we get <clears throat> that intervention by Gamaliel. Um, verse 33 says, When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put him to death, wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up and ordered them, that the men be put outside for a little while. Uh, and then he gives that little potted history lesson, doesn't he? It's a very wise intervention. Be careful what you do with these men. And then he lays these two examples before the council. Theudas with his 400, and Judas the Galilean and his followers, you know, revolutionaries. Um, once the leaders were dealt with, the followers all disappeared. Now the same thing will happen with these men if their teaching has a human origin. If their teaching has a human base. On the other hand, if this is from God... Well, there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. We may even find ourselves fighting God, which would be unthinkable. So the apostles are called back in. They're flogged and they're warned again not to speak in this name. And what do the apostles do? Well, they leave rejoicing. Do you remember we did uh, that series some months ago? Uh, on the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Do you remember what we said then? Um, our focus needs to be on Jesus. It needs to be on him because he is our heavenly reward. Heaven is the ultimate reality for us, and it's really quite hard sometimes to hold on to that in the midst of all of the circumstances of our lives. But that is the ultimate destination and the ultimate reality for those that know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Are we acting as God's agents on the earth? Are we motivated by Christ's compassion? Then it is highly likely that we will come into conflict with the powers and dominions. It is highly likely that we will be persecuted just for being Christians and for witnessing to the goodness and love of this Jesus. The apostles never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They never stopped. If persecution should come our way, and please God, it doesn't, then let us hope that we are able to rejoice as the first apostles were because we have been counted worthy. Our focus is on him. Whatever happens, friends, whatever befalls, 
never stop loving. Never stop witnessing. Never stop. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your word and for all that it teaches us. Thank you for the little portion we've been able to just focus on this morning. We pray that you will help us to be all that we should be under your hand, that you will help us to love continuously, that you will help us to love unendingly. It's a big ask, but it's what you did and it's what you call us to do in our turn. We pray that you will continue to work with us, helping us, polishing and refining us, that we might reflect your love and compassion for the world that you have made. And whatever comes our way, whether that be good or ill, help us never to stop loving the people that you put us among and loving you. We ask all of this in your glorious name. Amen. Friends, we sing our closing hymn together, O for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. If you're able, please stand. Brilliant hymn. I hope you're ready for a a good sing. The the music is brilliant, and if you're familiar (coughs) with the bit at the end of the verse where the ladies and the men do different things, then give it lots of welly, go for that. But can I also draw your attention to the words? Um, following on from what Kevin's been saying, this is our last hymn. And so the last verse of this hymn sends us out into the week. Whatever the week's going to bring us, it sends us out into the week. And the last verse says, My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honours of thy name. So let's go into the week with that. Let's have a good sing.
Now may the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.